following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Uh, to display to you the grace of God at work in my heart, I will say something I never thought I'd ever say. Congratulations to the San Francisco 49ers. I had a guy come to me earlier and say, I can't believe you said it. Stupid is what stupid does. And you went ahead and said it. I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah, so congrats. All right, let's open our Bibles. Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, we're, we're really glad to get through this series and walk through some things about relationships with you. We started this for the first of the year, and we've, did it, we've done it on purpose. Um, <clears throat> because the question that has been resonating in my mind over the last two years... Um, has been a question that I, kill, I still keep thinking about. I think about it often, especially as we head into um, different waters that are ahead. As we've watched conflict and division come up in our world, um, really like never before in my lifetime since 2016, 2016 has started a cycle of this derision and cancel culture and people not getting along very well, nobody being able to talk honestly with one another. And I began to ask a question of myself, and it was more of a personal study, and it was this, God, how do you want Christians to act and live in this time? Because quite frankly, what I started watching was um, Christians, in my opinion, not taking the book of God seriously about how we're to live. And instead, the politics of the day, the issues of the day, begin to rise to the forefront, and we begin to make those issues the issues that are primary, and we begin to lose sight of the power and the wonder of the gospel and how we represent the gospel in this conflicted world. And so I started asking myself a question about this. How are we supposed to live? And so this series is really birthed out of some of this. It's how do we live in a world that is so conflicted and divided, and how do we as a church then interact with one another in a way that displays something to the world that they just have no category for? How do we display the power of Christ at work within us that, that would cause us to, to work through hard issues, to confess sin with one another, to be humble to hear from one another, to love each other enough to let us disagree over secondary matters and still walk out the door loving each other? How, how do we do that? Because... Quite frankly, and I, I deal with pastors and churches from all over the place, and I can tell you there are churches that have fallen apart. Um, I got one brother that they were wondering if they were ever going to open the doors of their church ever again, not because of COVID stuff, but because people had left in the droves. They were fighting so much. And it just made me sick. Uh, it was sad. So I began to ask the question, how do we as a church navigate through this? And, and what I've tried to do in the series is take us through a logical very natural process to get us to where we are today. Try to take us on the first Sunday of the year to just talk about what did God intend for relationships? What does he want them to look like? We saw that we were created in the image of God, and one of those things meant that we were to live, we were created to live in peaceful, harmonious, unified relationships. And then the next week we looked at what sin has done to that, <clears throat> and seen that sin has caused us like Adam and Eve to have marriage conflicts, like Cain and Abel to have family conflicts, and to see that what we have in our day now, conflict everywhere. You can't, you can't walk out the door without smelling the air of division and conflict. It's everywhere. And then last week we looked at the power of Christ at work in us as Christians to be first reconciled to God so that we can represent Him in the world as reconcilers to God and help others be reconciled to one another and to us. And we saw that in Christ, he was restoring us to what God originally planned. God, God had a plan for us to represent him in the earth. And in Christ, he's, he's changing our sin, if you will. He's overcoming our sin to help us represent him in the earth again. And one of those ways is by being, recon, being reconcilers in this world. Now, the last three weeks, we have saw this very clearly. That the power of Christ is the only power that can restore us to God. Jesus is the only way to be restored to God. We saw as well that Jesus is the only power that can help us be restored to our God-given role of representing God in this world. And then we also saw that it's, Jesus is the only power 
that can truly help us be restored to one another to live in unified, loving, joyful, peaceful relationships. Because only in Jesus can we really see that our sin is a big deal and that we would confess it to one another and that we would be able to forgive one another because we've been so freely forgiven. You can't, there's nothing else in the world that offers that kind of power. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to look at more practical stuff, more practical steps. We're going to kind of get out of the, <clears throat> the theological component of it, if you will, and talk about practical steps of representing Christ in our world. And this week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And the reason why we're doing this is just, just examine this for a moment from your own history and your own life. Imagine how many relational divides... Church splits, marriage conflicts could be resolved with two things, two simple things. A person coming and saying, I have sinned against you in this way, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And the other person saying, I freely forgive you, and I'll never bring it up to your account ever again. Just those two things. Imagine if we would be such people that would do the little things when it comes to relationships to have the humility to look inward and see our own contribution and the humility to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. And then on the other side, to be a person that goes, yes, I've been forgiven so much, I'm going to give you forgiveness when you ask it of me. That's one reason why we're doing it. The other reason we're doing it is, listen, you, you can't walk out of this, these doors without experiencing pain. There is a lot of pain in this world and people have hurt others in just unfathomable ways. I mean, just unimaginable ways. I mean, from, from sexual abuse to domestic violence, unfaithfulness in marriage, uh, people lying against you, you know, lying to you, cheating you, uh, people slandering you to your, your friends, gossiping about you all over town. <clears throat> Living in this world is really painful, and knowing this church like I know this church, that we have a lot of pain. There's a lot of people that have pain. But one of the things that is evolving right now in Christendom and in the church is the church is starting to recognize there's a lot of pain in this world, but the answer that they're giving is this. Let's talk to each other in our pain and see if that'll help us find a, some health. I think we should look at it from another angle. Let's recognize our pain has been caused by either our sin or somebody else's sin. The gospel has come to help us be reconciled to God so we can be reconciled to one another and we can freely forgive others as Christ has forgiven us, which actually will bring health. I'd rather talk about health than talk in our pain to one another. Because I think what we'll find is that's where true health is going to be found. We're going to find help and hope in the life and the joy of the gospel. Living in this world is hard. And we want to be really sensitive to that. Some of you have been hurt terribly. Some of you have had friends betray you. Uh, I don't want to go through the list of situations in my life where people have slandered me, gossiped about me, said things about me that I could never defend. Because now you know in this culture, you go out to defend yourself now, you're immediately guilty. And I've had friends betray me. I don't, th those, those lists, we could go on and on. You, you would have your own list. But Leon Morris, I think, says it best of why forgiveness is so critical. Forgiveness is important in a sinful world where all people are sinners. And we're all in need to be forgiven, of being forgiven. It's also needed because people keep on sinning against us. So that we ourselves are constantly confronted with situations in which the followers of Jesus are required to forgive. So it's a hard subject. It's a challenging subject. It's one that we've we got to spend some time on because, because if we're truly going to be reconcilers in this world, we've got to have a category for what happens when we get sinned against. Or what happens when we sin against others? How do we approach this? Now, if you're new with us, hopefully you got a bulletin. I heard we ran out of bulletins, so if, if you ran out, I'm sorry about that. Uh, we'll get that corrected, Lord willing, next week. <clears throat> but here's the big idea of the day that I hope will hit. The forgiveness of God is the foundation for our forgiveness of others. Very simple. The forgiveness of God is the foundation for our forgiveness of others. Now, here's what I want to do this morning is I want you to realize first that God, God is here to help you. I, I, am, I am freshly aware that there are multiple situations I know nothing about. I, I was in the uh, foyer out lobby after we were done first service and a guy came up and said to me, I know you said this in the sermon, but man, you don't know this person I'm dealing with. 
I said, you're right, I don't, I don't. I said, that's why I said it in the sermon. <laughs> you know, so you'd know that I wouldn't, I didn't know, right? I said, but I can tell you this, I know, I know a God who does know, and I know a God who's willing to help you. And this, this stuff's hard. There's so many myriad of situations, it'd be impossible for us to cover all of them in a sermon. But the principles are going to be true. So I want you to know your God is with you. Your God's here to help you. Your God sees you. Your God sees the person that's really hard to love and forgive. And your God sees the areas in your life where you're being unforgiving as well. And he cares for you enough to point that out, bring it to you, and then offer you help and hope and the power of the gospel that can actually free you from bondage. That, that's, that's what we want to get to this morning. So I want to ask you to do something for me. As you're going this morning and you're writing notes and you're taking notes, and maybe you're on your phone, if the Lord brings to mind somebody that you immediately realize, I'm, I'm being unforgiving, write it down. And commit yourself to dealing with that before the Lord. I'd also ask you, if you realize as you've gone through this, you've not made some steps to go be reconciled to somebody, write that down. It's way too important to just ignore. And I want us to be people that say to ourselves, we are going to do the hard work of this because Jesus did the hard work for us. Right? That's what I want us to do. Okay? So let's pray together before we start because we're going to need the power of God today. Okay? <clears throat> Father, you, you are so good to your people and you have never left us alone. And in moments where we have aches and pains and sorrows, I am grateful that you don't sit on your throne in heaven and distance yourself from us, but Lord, you come running to your people. You know every moment when one of us has been hurt. <clears throat> you know every situation when we've been sinned against. And yet you still in your word tell us to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. So Father, would you... Would you go to work in your people? These are your people. They're not mine. They're yours. And, and we need a fresh dose of your spirit upon us because, Lord, we, we are people that if we're, if we're left to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. And we need your power to help us be different so we can display the glory of Christ to this world so the gospel will be advanced, your people will be blessed, and this world will come to know Christ. So help us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to read Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. <clears throat> Matthew 18, verse 21. And this is the reading of God's word. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I, say, I do not say to you seven times, but... Seventy-seven times, or in the Greek, seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and a payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, "'Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything.' And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant came out, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seized him, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, "Pay what you owe." <clears throat> so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, "Have patience with me, and I will repay you." He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their, to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, he, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also shall my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a reading of God's word. Thank you. you. may be seated. 
Now, while you got your Bibles out, I want you to do me a favor and just look up just a, some verses above and notice the context real quick, right? So the context we're in is Jesus is giving some instruction on what do you do if a brother or sister sins against you or you see them in sin? What do you do? And Jesus says to them very clearly, <clears throat> if you see it or they sin against you, you go to them in private, you confront them with their sin, you bring their sin to them. If they repent, you've won your brother. And then if you don't, then you bring two witnesses with you and confront them. And if they repent, you've won your brother. And if they don't, you're to bring it to the church. Now what's interesting is, it's out of that story, that, that teaching, that we see our very first point when Jesus talks about what the kingdom of God is like. Because you're going to notice, Jesus gives this parable about the unforgiving servant out of a question in verses 21 and 22 from Peter about forgiveness. So Peter, here's Jesus tell the story about, okay, so people sin against me, and I'm going to come to go to them privately and tell them their sin, and if they repent, I'm to forgive them. So Peter does the math. Peter says, okay, how many times am I to do that? Up to seven times? Now for Peter, as a Jew, he thought that was kind of a big deal because the Jews were taught, if you forgive, you're, you can forgive up to three times. After three times, all bets are off. Now, for us red-blooded Americans, it sounds like a pretty good plan, right? I mean, they sin twice, all bet one time. I mean, you fool me twice, we got an issue, right? We, but Jesus, he says, he says seven times. Peter's thinking he's being extravagant. Up to seventy seven times, Lord, and Jesus says to him, I mean, can you imagine Peter's thoughts when Jesus says to him, actually, no, Peter, not not seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, those of you who are mathematicians, you're immediately going, okay, 490 times. I can count that, and I can keep a list of that. So if my wife sins against me, that's one. That's two. We get to 490. You go to 491. We're done. We're, we're, unforgiveness is on, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is basically saying is we are to forgive an unlimited number of times. Now, you can imagine the shock that went on in the disciples at this moment. Matter of fact, there's a parallel passage in Luke 17 that won't come up on the screen, but Jesus is having a similar dialogue about forgiveness, and he tells them they need to forgive a big amount. The very next verse, after they have the discussion, all the disciples say, Lord, help our unbelief. In other words, if you don't read what Jesus said here and step back and go, this is impossible, you've missed the point. Because maybe that's what you're thinking. Listen, dude, you don't, you don't know the person who sinned against me. You don't get how bad they were. You don't understand. My best friend betrayed me so deeply. Now they've become my biggest enemy and they're slandering me all over town and I can do nothing about it. You don't understand. And my point is, I would agree with you. I don't understand. And I would agree with you that it is impossible to forgive like this without a power outside of us to help us. We naturally move toward vengeance and toward unforgiveness and naturally move in our self-righteousness to judge people. That's what we naturally do. We need a power outside of us to work within us to help us forgive other people like Jesus is talking about here. Now, it's in this moment when you look at the story, Jesus has answered the question, how many times? Seven times? No, 70 times seven, that Jesus then kicks off into this parable about the unforgiving servant. And the parable is pretty straightforward. A king went out to settle his debts. I want you to notice about something that Jesus says at the very beginning. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Now there are a lot of like lessons we could get from this parable, but to keep it in the narrow window of forgiveness, we're going to talk about that. So if we're looking at this parable, it's a parable about what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. And it's about a king who went out to settle his debts. Servants owed him something. One of his servants, probably a nobleman, because there's no way a nobleman could have had this amount of debt, owed him 10,000 talents. And just to give you an idea what that's like, that's the equivalent of 60 million working days. There's some debate on, uh, in our day and age, it was equivalent of anywhere from $3.5 billion to $12 billion. I would argue with that now to say, with inflation, it's $22 billion. Okay, so we, we get an idea that he owed him a load of money that he could not pay back. And when the king found out the man couldn't pay it back, he decided he's going to throw him in jail with his wife and children, and he was going to sell everything he had. 
But the man begged for time and patience. Please, give me time. I'll pay it back. The king in his compassion then released the man and forgave the entire debt. This debt would be worth billions of dollars in our day. The forgiven man, in an odd attempt to pay back the money he owed, goes out to go find something. There's a lesson there about legalism we could discuss in another sermon. The man goes out to pay his debt, and he goes out and he finds a servant that owes him 100 denarii, the equivalent of 100 days of work. So again, doing the math, he was forgiven 60 million days of work worth billions, and he goes out and finds a man who owes him 100 days of work worth thousands. And this man couldn't pay it back. And the man actually begs this forgiven servant the same way that man begged the king. Please forgive me. Give me time. I'll pay it back. But the forgiven man decided, nope, I'm going to throw him into jail until until he repays his minuscule little tiny debt. Now just do the math on that. You get thrown in jail. How do you raise money to pay the debt back? Well, then suddenly others around the village heard about this, and they were ticked off. They were really bothered by this, so they go tell the king, and the king becomes righteously angry. And he took the forgiven yet unforgiving nobleman, he throws him to the torturers, and he reminds him, listen, I forgave you a large debt. You should have forgiven others of the debt they have toward you. And that's the story. That's what we're left with. Now you have to ask, there's so many lessons here, but let's think about just three lessons from this story we can learn about what the kingdom of heaven is compared to. So the kingdom of heaven is first compared to a king who forgives an unpayable debt. Now we know because Jesus that this is the kingdom of Christ, where he resides and rules over as the king, and we know that this king, Jesus, is the one who has forgiven an unpayable debt because he's caring and he's compassionate. And we know this to be true, don't we? If you're a child of God, you know this immensely. Our sin separated us from God. Our sin created a debt or a payment on our lives that we needed to pay to God to release us from this debt. We could not pay it. It's unpayable. But God, because of his great mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, paid our debt through Jesus, his son, and forgave us of all of our debt, all of our sin. And we could say the kingdom of heaven may be compared to our unpayable debt being forgiven by the unlimited mercy of God. That's one thing that the kingdom of heaven is. But the second thing the kingdom of heaven is, it's forgiven servants who become forgiving servants the kingdom of heaven may be compared to forgiven servants becoming forgiving servants this is also clear from the text i mean when you think of the 60 million days that guy owed being forgiven and then you compare it to the 100 days that he wouldn't forget you you, your mind it's just inconceivable to quote the princess bride i mean it's inconceivable how could this even happen and we, we compare the money piece and the, the billions of dollars compared to a thousand. But I want you to notice something about this. this. The issue with the king is not the money piece. R.C. Sproul says it best. The king's wrath was not how the servant handled the king's money, but how the servant handled the king's mercy. See, our tendencies is we take the debt that they owe us and we compare it to whatever financial, personal issue it was, and we fail to recognize the mercy that was extended to us so we can then extend other mercy. Implied in this story is that the kingdom of heaven is like forgiven servants becoming forgiving servants. God's people are to be people who have received unlimited mercy and grace. I mean, we've received unlimited mercy and grace. Just for a moment, evaluate how patient God was with you this morning alone. Unlimited mercy and grace. So we have a reservoir from God of mercy and grace to hand out to those who hurt us. The kingdom of heaven is compared to forgiven servants becoming forgiving servants. But I want you to notice one last thing in the text that's really important. Is the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king that calls his debts. 
You'll notice something that Jesus says at the very end, that if we don't forgive others, neither will God extend forgiveness to us. See, Jesus is not saying that we forgive so that God will or can forgive us. What he's saying is forgiveness from God in the heart, a understanding of God in the heart is revealed by the way we forgive other people. Forgiveness is not something that earns us God's favor, mercy, and grace. Instead, forgiveness from others flows from a heart that is overwhelmed by the mercy of God to forgive us at all for our unpayable debt. And then it allows us to freely give mercy and grace because we've been so freely forgiven. But make no mistake, unforgiveness, unforgiveness reveals something. It reveals a heart that does not understand it's debt before God, nor does it, does it appreciate or is it grateful for the mercy of God extended to them. Being willing, unwilling to forgive others can indicate that you have not been forgiven by God because you haven't believed it. And listen, that, that is remarkably dangerous. As we were worshiping this morning, I usually stop periodically to listen to the church sing. And I remind myself of a picture that is in the Bible where Paul talks about in Colossians 1 that his aim is to present all of God's people mature in Christ. And I let you all sing while I listen and my prayer to God is, Lord, hear your people sing. These are your people. My fear and my worst fear is on that day, on that day that you, that you would not heed these words Unforgiveness and bitterness cannot go unchecked. Sinful anger cannot go unchecked. Unrighteous indignation toward other people cannot go unchecked. It is too dangerous. It's too dangerous. So listen, if if that's you and you're in that category, then I I would plead with you right now before God, you, you need to do some examination of your soul. If you're claiming to be a child of God, yet you are harboring bitterness toward others, You're not being grateful for the grace of God being extended to you. Nor do you understand the separation and the debt that God forgave of you. And so this morning, I just call you to call out to God. Listen, God cares for you. That's why he's pointing it it out. So the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who forgives an unpayable debt. He can be be compared to, to forgiven servants becoming forgiving servants. And it can be compared to a king who calls his debts. Now that's the story, but with that story, let's take the next two points and let's talk about forgiveness a little more. Let's pull the thread of forgiveness a little, a little bit, and I want to talk more about just conclusions we can draw from the text, but I also talk about conclusions we can draw from other places in the Bible, and that's our second point, what forgiveness is and what it is not. Now fair warning here, the notes that are going to come up on the screen, you're going to have an outline, one point, but there's going to be a lot of things you're going to want to take a picture of with your phone if you can do that, if you get a flip phone. That's your deal. Um, it, but if you want to take notes, get your pen out and be ready, okay? Because there's going to be things that are going to come up that are not on your outline, okay? So let's start with a very simple definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a willing promise not to bring another person's sin up to them, to others, or myself as a form of accusation or revenge. I'm going to read it again. Forgiveness is a willing promise not to bring another person's sin up to them, to others, or myself as a form of accusation or revenge. Now, one of my favorite Puritans is a guy named Thomas Watson. And Thomas Watson was asked the question in his book, The Body of Divinity, what is forgiveness? And here's what he wrote. Forgiveness is when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Do you see your need for the grace of God? Forgiveness is a willing promise not to bring another person's sin up to them, to others, or to myself as a form of accusation or revenge. Now with that definition, let's just look at some things in the definition and in the story that will help us. The first thing you'll notice about forgiveness is it's costly. Forgiveness is costly. 
We see this in the parable. We see it in our relationship with God, and we see it in our relationship with other people. Forgiveness means we are willing to let a real sin or offense no longer separate us. See, here, here's the thing we have to realize. Forgiveness does not mean the sin never happened. Forgiveness means the sin happened, I'm scarred by it, I see my scars from it, but I'm choosing no longer to let that separate us. I'm making a willing decision to never hold you account to that sin again. So that's the way God treated us. Think about that. God's forgiveness cost us, cost him the death of his son. The forgiveness of the, of the king cost him billions of dollars. As an example of our unpayable debt, our forgiveness of others will cost us laying down our offense to not allow that to separate us anymore. Forgiveness is costly, but let me say this to you clearly. It's the cost of freedom. Unforgiveness is more costly because it's the cost of bondage. You can go to Fred Meyer, you're going to pick something to buy, and if they had on the shelf, you know, freedom and the payment was you know, forgiveness or bondage and the payment was unforgiveness. That's the picture here. It's going to cost you somewhere, but one's going to benefit you. The other one's going to hurt you. Forgiveness is, is a willing, is a, it's it's costly. But the second thing you're going to notice is forgiveness is a willing promise to not bring it up against the sinner to others or to ourselves. Now I want you to notice something about this. It does not mean we forget the offense. I've heard too many Christian preachers say, forgive and forget. The answer is, that is not biblical. <laughs> it's not. Nowhere in the Bible does God forget our sin. He can't. God is omniscient. He sees everything. God knows the name of every molecule that's ever gone in the history of the universe. Rather, the Bible says, God chooses to no longer count our sins against us. So God sees our sin, it's real, but God says, I'm not going to let that separate us anymore because I've sent my son Jesus. When it says he chooses to no longer remember our sins and cast them from the east and the west, notice he's choosing to not bring them up anymore against us. Just like us, we're doing the same thing. God chooses to no longer bring and count our sins against us. When we forgive, we're choosing to no longer count others' sins against us. This means we don't constantly remind them of the sin that they've done before us. I mean, this happens in marriages, good grief. I mean, if you live in a Christian marriage, you know every day of your life sin's going on. You're hurting your spouse one way or the other, and, you know, there's things that happen in marriage. Your wife asks you on Sunday, honey, would you please take out the trash? And it's still there on Thursday. It happens, right? And you know the feeling, right? Your wife's standing by the trash can, you're both getting ready to go to work, and you're kind of getting ready to blitz out the door, and she goes... The trash has got to go out. I told you, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and not today, Thursday. Right? I mean, there's this reminder of your sin. And dudes are looking at their wives. Wives are not looking at them. Right? I get it. I know what's happening here. Right? Totally see that picture. Right? We all have this happen. And it could be both ways. Husbands asking wives to do something they don't. And we're reminding them constantly. The question is, how do we do that with a forgiving heart? See, we don't remind others how they've sinned against us. You might have a friend that's violated, sinned against you in a really bad way, and every time you see them, you cannot stop thinking about the way they sinned against you, and you remind them of it. Hey, don't forget, man, when we were in seventh grade, you really blew it. I had a guy several years ago remind me of a pass I dropped in eighth grade. I mean, what a jerk, right? It was the last catch of the day, and I had a chance to win the game, and it went right through the wickets, man. And the coach says to me, what are we going to do, throw it to him again so he'll drop another one? Man, that was really nice. And then my friend brings it up like four years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm 52. That was weird, you know? Let it go, dude, right? Right? We don't bring up people's sins to them. But it also means we don't bring it up to ourselves. We don't bring it up to those accusations that flow in our mind. So I have to do something periodically. I remind myself regularly, no, I've chosen to forgive them and I'm not bringing this to their account again. Or we don't bring it up to others. We do this really well in spiritual realms in Christendom. We call them prayer meetings. I need you all to pray for me because so-and-so, they really hurt me. And I just want you to pray that we would be reconciled and 
we had to think we'd be good, and here's what they did to hurt me, and just so you can avoid them later so you don't get hurt as well. And suddenly we're, we're like, wait, stop, stop, right? We're just we're spreading it out to other people. That's not forgiveness. See, forgiveness is a willing promise to not bring it up against them, to them, to others, or to ourselves as a form of accusation or revenge. But third, forgiveness is immediate and it is a process. Let me explain that. Notice in verse 35, Jesus said that we must forgive others from the heart. That's the immediate part. When others sin against us, we can, through the power of Christ at work in us, forgive them immediately in our hearts and our minds. I have a lot of Christians that say to me, I can't forgive them, I won't forgive them, it's going to take time, all this stuff. And I say to them, okay, great, here's the point. You can't use the word can't. Because in the power of Christ, you're choosing not to. Because Christ has come to tell you, forgive others as, they, as God and Christ has forgiven you. And the examples we have in Scripture are, are clear. We can decide right then and there, because God has been so gracious to us, that we can forgive people. And God empowers us to do it. He knows it's hard. And listen, I said it earlier. He knows it's hard. He's right with you here to help you navigate through this. But he helps us forgive as we've been forgiven. But it's also a process. See, reconciliation with other people and restoration is not possible. It's not possible without confession of sin and repentance. It's just not possible. You cannot truly be restored to somebody without the sin between you being addressed, being confessed, being repented of, and being forgiven. You can't. Otherwise, down the road, something's going to come up and you're going to bring that issue back up into the relationship again. The process of forgiveness begins immediately when we forgive somebody from our hearts. But the process of forgiveness is not completed until that person sits down with you and confesses their sin, acknowledges what they did, tells you what they did, and asks you to forgive them, and you say to them, you are forgiven. Let me give you a a danger zone here and some thoughts, okay? A lot of Christians forgive people in their heart, and they want people to know that they've forgiven them, and the person doesn't even know they've sinned, and they walk up to them and they say, you know, Dave, I just want you to know I've forgiven you for being a jerk to me. I just want you to know that. And we do that as a way of almost kind of dropping forgiveness in their lap and saying to them, you need to repent. Nowhere in scripture does it tell us to do that. And I hear a lot of Christians that will say to people, I want you to know I've forgiven you for something they've never confessed to sin. Nowhere in scripture will we ever do that because now we're enabling them to stay in their sin. What we are told to do in scripture is forgive in our hearts and when our brother repents... We speak to them, you're forgiven. The second thing I want you to be aware of is, lots of Christians do this. They sin against somebody and they say something like this. I'm really sorry, I didn't mean it that way. You know, I'm sorry. And it leaves no room for the person to respond. You say, I'm sorry for things that are accidents. I didn't mean to trip you. I'm sorry for dumping that glass of water on you. I'm sorry for... Forgetting the appointment, I really didn't mean to. It was a complete accident. Here's what happened on our family day. We ask for forgiveness when we sin against somebody. And the reason for that is there's an interaction that has to take place. There's an opportunity to confess sin and an opportunity to grant the forgiveness that's already in the heart. So when I say it's it's a process, it's immediate and it's a process, what I'm saying is individually before God, we can forgive anybody who sins against us. But to make it spoken, they have to come to me or I have to go to them and confront them. And they've got to confess their sin, ask for forgiveness so I can say to them they're forgiven. The other thing, if somebody says to you, uh, they they come to you with this issue of sin and they ask you to forgive them, don't blow it off by saying, you know, oh, no big deal. You know, just get over it. No big deal. Who cares? What you're basically saying to them is their sin against God is not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. So one of the things I do periodically when people come to me, they confess things to me and they tell me what they've done against me and I say to them, great, you know, I forgive you. And I say to them, thank you so much for bringing that up. And I I really didn't see you do that in the meeting, but I really appreciate your sensitivity to be aware of it. Thanks for doing that. And I immediately communicate back to them that the relationship is moving forward toward reconciliation. Now we're going to cover that more clearly next week, 
But I just want you to get something in mind. It's a process. It's, a, it's immediate, but it's a process. And the process cannot go on without two people interacting. The fourth thing you're going to notice about forgiveness is it does not guarantee reconciliation restoration. Listen, that's the hope. Our hope in forgiving others and vice versa is that our relationship would be better with them before things got way weird. But realistically, listen, that may not be the case this side of heaven. And, and for me, as I've grown in this world, uh, when I was a young preacher, very idealistic, once we repent, let's go, man, we're brothers, we're bros, let's get this thing right, man, let's move forward. And the more I've interacted with sinful people and had my own sinful heart interact, I've realized the best thing I can probably do is just repent of my own sin and hope for restoration. It may never happen again. That's the hope. Vanitha Reisner on Desiring God wrote this blog, this point, this point in a blog post I found really helpful. Forgiveness is unconditional, but meaningful reconciliation and restoration are conditional. In the gospel and in human relationships, on the offender's genuine repentance, humble willingness to accept the consequences of his actions, and a desire by both parties to work on the relationship. See, what you need is you need two people, right? You need the person who's in sin against has a person come to them and acknowledge with genuine confession and repentance, I blew it, and here's how I blew it. Would you forgive me? Yes, and then both parties begin to work toward restoration of a relationship. See, we can always forgive, but we might not ever be reconciled or restored. I can always forgive people who sin against me in my heart, but things may never be the same with that brother or sister who sinned. But forgiveness can still work in my heart, and I can always be ready for reconciliation so that when they do come, I can just speak to them what's already in my heart. See, a situation like this happened to me several years ago. And in a conversation with a guy through email, trying to get him to meet with me face to face to go over his concerns, he refused to meet with me. I talked to our elders about it. I said, I don't know what to do. I've pursued this guy. I've done everything I know to do. I've called him. I've texted him. I've, I've emailed him. And the elders said, listen, you've done everything you can. The ball's in his court. Three years later, I'm driving home. I'm at Diamond Lake Highway, right? I remember where I was, Blacktop Hill. I shot a text to this guy. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. And I hope you're doing well. I get an immediate response. Do you have time to talk tonight? I said, brother, you name the time and the place. We talked for three hours on the phone, which started with, I need to tell you all the ways that we've sinned against you. And said, would you please forgive me? I said, dude, I've waited three years to tell you, yes, you're forgiven. Can we move on now? I had another brother years ago, took us nine months. This guy waited, avoided me like the plague. We finally sat down together. It took us five minutes to reconcile it. It doesn't always end in reconciliation, but our hope is it will. The last thing is forgiveness does not mean the end and end to all consequences. This is a question that people ask a lot is, okay, so I'm going to forgive them. And therefore I just kind of rot off the debt. That's what you see in the parable. Well, the parable is there to reveal something. It's revealed, to, it's revealed an unpayable debt. If somebody has stolen from you, biblically speaking, their restitution is 20% more than what they stole from you. If it's a crime, you can forgive them in your heart, but there's still a penalty to pay. Not to mention the penalty to be paid of loss of trust in the relationships when people sin against you. Or think about a pastor who sins immorally and, and it casts him out of the pulpit. You can forgive him as a church, but his position will not be restored. There's consequences that go on. Even though forgiveness might be extended or in the heart, there's still consequences to be paid. It doesn't mean an end to all consequences. So that's, that's what forgiveness is and what it is not. Now let's finish with the third point. How to be forgiven and forgiving. So how, how do we apply this? Well, the first thing we got to do is be forgiven. And to do that, you, you've got to understand who you are and who God is. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our rebellion, our disobedience to God, just to one of God, one of God's commands has separated us from God. To be made right with God, we need God to make us right with Him and forgive us of sin. This isn't our way of manipulating God. God's the one that does the transaction. That's why he sent Jesus. 
Jesus lived perfectly in our place. He lived the life that we were supposed to live, that we didn't live, nor could we live. We sinned. Jesus didn't. And he died in our place. The wrath, the cur- I mean, the death that we deserve. We de- our sin deserves the curse and wrath of God. I mean, the moment we breathe, we deserve to be sent to the eternal punishment for the rest of our days. But Jesus took our place instead. And to show that God was happy with all that Jesus did, God raised him from the dead. So to be forgiven, we must believe that we have an unpayable debt before God, and only Jesus paid for that. So listen, if you're here, you don't know Christ. We would say to you, the issue of forgiving other people pales in comparison to you being forgiven by God. You need to trust in Jesus. The moment we trust in Jesus, God instantaneously forgives us of all of our sin. What a gift. He restores us to a relationship with him and makes us his children. It is amazing grace, unlimited mercy, eternal love, all on full display. That's how we're forgiven by God. And when God forgives us, here's the amazing thing. God gives us his power and his willingness to forgive other people. So we can go from being forgiven servants to now being forgiving servants. So how do we do that? Let me give you two things. The first thing you need to do is recognize that our sin against God is worse than others' sin against us. See, if you want to guard yourself from unforgiveness and bitterness, just ask God to show you how big of a debt you had. See, the older I get, the more I realize I'm, I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I'm not one beggar showing other beggars where the bread's at. No, I'm, I'm a sinner that was filled with my heart in rebellion against God. And I had a debt that I could never pay. And when you understand the gospel, the depth of the gospel, you, you can't be unforgiving. Ask God to show you that unforgiveness, unforgiveness claims that others sin against me is worse than my sin against God. That's dangerous. Think how scary that is. That's why we must start as Christians with understanding, believing that our sin against God is worse than our sin, than our, than, than, than other sins against us. But the second thing we do is we must remember that other sin against us is not worse than their sin against God. See, their sin against God is more damning than their sin against us. Their sin reveals that they need to be reconciled to God. And listen to this. Our response to their sin reveals to them which relationship we think is more important to them to be reconciled. So we get mad. We blow up. We're telling them, you've sinned against me see, so bad. You don't need God. But if we learn to respond in patience and humility, revealing to them the gospel of Christ, we're showing them their greatest need is to be reconciled vertically to God. See, bitterness is born in a heart that makes itself the ultimate judge. And when we hurt others, when when others hurt us, they offend us and against us, we have our own modern-day hell to pay. We isolate from them, we reject them, we separate, say bad things about them, because we are the judge. But what if instead we saw their sin against God as more important And God being the ultimate judge, we're now free to forgive them because Jesus has also come to forgive them just like he came for us. Now listen, next week we're going to dive into all the mechanics of this more in some detail. But for right now, I want you to get this deep. We've got to get this deep into our souls. Understanding our sin against God and God's mercy toward us is the key to unlocking a bitter and unforgiving heart. If you want to deal with your unforgiveness and bitterness toward other people, go to God and ask God to show you his mercy toward you. Go to God and have him reveal the depth of your sin. You you won't stay unforgiving very long. Michael Green put it like this. The Christian life is born in forgiveness and it must characterize us all the way through all the way through our relationships. Paul Tripp summarizes it perfectly. Forgiveness is the only way to live in an intimate, long-term relationship with another sinner. 
Forgiveness is the only way to negotiate through the weakness and failures that will daily mark your relationships. It's the only way to deal with hurt and disappointment. Forgiveness is the only way to have hope and confidence restored. It is the only way to protect your love and reinforce the unity that you've built. Forgiveness is the only way not to be kidnapped by the past. It's the only way to give your relationships the blessing of fresh starts and new beginnings. Friends, forgiveness reveals to the world a power that is outside of it. It reveals to the world a power that is so powerful that we can actually have right relationships even if we've sinned against one another. Let's pray. Now as we're praying, I just want to invite you to evaluate your heart this morning. Maybe the Lord has shown you some unforgiveness. And this morning, I just want to call you, just encourage you to just Confess your sin to God. Your God is faithful to forgive you. He cares about you. He wants you to be free from that bondage. Maybe the Lord has brought to mind specific people. And it's hard and you look at it and you think, man, God, I just can't. These people hurt me so deeply. This morning, I just want to ask you to ask the Lord to give you power to forgive, give you grace and meet you. Maybe this morning you just need to say to God, God, I choose, I'm, will, I'm willing right now to choose to no longer bring their sin up against them anymore. I want to do that in my heart. And I imagine like it was in our first service, there were several people battling with unforgiveness. And so, Father, we come to you because you're the only one who can help us. Lord, there has been sin against people in the room that is just unimaginable. You saw it. You, yet you are there and you're here with them now to help them deal with the issues of their own heart. And I pray that you would encourage them to strength, give them strength to forgive others in their heart. Give them strength to be freed from the bondage of bitterness. Help them to see the power of the gospel that has come for them. Let them see that their sin against you is greater than than the sinner's sin against them. Help them to see their need today to be reconciled to you. Father, we cannot be forgiving people without the forgiving one being alive in us. So would you help us today? Shepherd your people, because Lord, there are so many situations that that we as humans just can't even fathom. Yet you are with your people. Care for them today. Give them strength and mercy and grace for the good of their soul, for the good of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the good of the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.